So if I were to ask you if you are a generous person, how might you respond? And I won't make you answer that, but I might make you look at the person next to you and say, do you think I'm a generous person? Because that's usually the truer gauge of how uh, personality traits and characteristics. But I do know that there are a bunch of you who love to take Facebook online quizzes and then post the results after you've taken it 16 times to make it say what you want it to say. So I'm going to do a little quiz I found online, Facebook quiz, that asks you, are you a generous person? And so the, the, the compare and contrast was miserly versus a big heart. So it, depending on how you answer these questions, you can post on Facebook that you're a generous person. Someone, don't need to know who, someone has given you a box of exotic bitter chocolates. And before you open that box to eat those chocolates, your child or neighborhood child or a cousin or a niece or a nephew comes up and tugs on your, your leg right before you eat that chocolate. Do you give away the entire piece to this child in your life? Or do you explain to this child that since the chocolate is too bitter, you probably wouldn't like it? All right? What would you do if you won $50,000? Would you invest $40,000, keep $5,000 for miscellaneous expenses, and donate the rest to charity, which isn't a lot left? Or would you buy your entire wish list? Remember, guys, Facebook statuses are on the line here. All right? A friend of yours asks you to spend time helping them complete their homework, students, all right? So not only are you supposed to do your homework, you're supposed to help another student with their homework. Do you, once or twice, you're like cool with it, and you're like, yeah, they'll start learning as I help them. Or do you say, absolutely not, that's what classroom time is for? Remember, Facebook status is here. A car accident happens near your home. Do you, A, rush to be an assistant, bring water, whatever, do what you can, or do you run out and film it on your phone? <laughs> you decide to lend money to a friend in need. Would you expect it back? You go out with friends for dinner. One of your friends realizes that he or she has forgotten their wallet. Do you... Jump at the opportunity to pay for this person? Or do you sit around and wait for everyone else to notice that they could step in? Now, I don't recommend Facebook quizzes to help you with your job resumes. I don't recommend going on Facebook and telling future hiring job positions, hey, I filled out this quiz on Facebook and it shows all my strengths. After I took it the third time to get it to say those were my strengths. But in a world that we can't force people to give or serve, if everyone says you can't make people do this, why do we keep talking about it? Why would we suggest, hey, on these connect cards, in your chairs, there is a spot that says encounter teams. And that is someone who goes, I'm going to help set up chairs or vacuum or set up kids spaces or nursery care or, or coffee bar or running this and making all this happen. This doesn't just happen. Chairs don't just get set up. Places don't get cleaned and vacuumed and taken care of in spaces. There are people who set aside time to do these things, and we shamelessly continue to invite people to life together through serving. 
Why would we do that? Why would we, for some people, they see these baskets being passed as this corruption to me singing and praying and communing with the Lord. And, and we see this basket movement or, or giving of even talking about money as this super awkward thing and we never do it because how could that be worship? Why would we talk about giving and serving in a world that you can't force people to do it? And we don't. We, don't, we're, we can't do that. We know that's true. But the simple Sunday school answer is Sunday school answer. There you go. Jesus. You had your chance. You could have just said it and been right. It's Jesus. And I don't want to undercut the value of it, but the reality of our situation is serving and giving, being generous, is not just reflective of Christ, okay? Because when we do it, we actually reflect the one who saved us. But it's a direct response to what Jesus has done. Jesus' giving of his life and serving of his people is why we look at it and go, thank you, God. Because giving and serving are directly tied to what we'll see in the scriptures this morning, love. And as Miss Sue said, I, I do believe, and I've seen it in the church, I have seen people give and serve, but not love. Because you can tell it. You can see it. And I was listening to this guy just kind of, he was a, a New York Times reporter, and he was just talking about the different the discussions he's been in. And he said, one of the things that will mark people, mark people, encounters with other people, and you are marked by is pleasure. You can tell when somebody enjoys what they're doing, or where they are, or what they're, what, 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 how they've been, you know, shaped. You can tell when someone is experiencing pleasure. But you can also tell when they're not. And so in the church, there's a very real danger for us to go, you know what, I give and I serve. Right? But rather than understanding why we give and we serve, um, and the, 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 the fuel for what we'll see, love, comes from this, this picture of what Jesus has done for us. And so this morning, leading up to the encounter that Miss Sue was talking about, I always like to know, before Jesus gets an invitation to come and eat with people that hate him, for the most part, I like to know what he's been up to. And if you read in the Gospel of Luke, you can see that Jesus has been busy casting out demons, he's been healing people, he's been speaking of God's kingdom in a way that's causing people to go, what? It's coming, it's here, it's in me. It, how does this work? This kingdom sounds very confusing, Jesus. And he's like, yeah, it's going to blow your minds. He's been announcing this kingdom. He's been calling to him. His disciples are people who have questionable, reputa questionable reputations. So even who he's inviting to be announcers of this good news are people that society's like, I wouldn't have asked them. He's been continuing and speaking things. He's been preaching. He's been proclaiming a road to happiness that is unlike any other road described in the Beatitudes. He's given this Sermon on the Mount, which has taken religious teachings and flipped them upside down and caused people to go, what in the world, Jesus? Jesus has the nerve to speak to a Roman soldier and tell this Roman soldier that he's not seen faith like this Roman soldiers in all of Israel. And this is where I like to think the Pharisees would be like, hello, what about us? And Jesus is like, exactly. Not you guys. I mean, Jesus is causing 
I mean, like this, this, this shift to happen. And so he has, he's, he's raised the widow's son from the dead. He's answered John the Baptist's questions. John the Baptist's questions of, hey, are you the Messiah? Are you the rescuer? Or should we look for someone else? And Jesus is like, look at what's going on. You tell me and you'll know. And then we see Jesus kind of talking with the crowds and going, hey, you guys are really difficult, <laughs> which is amazing because the crowds hated John the Baptist because he lived out and didn't eat with anybody, didn't hang out with anybody. And then Jesus comes and he hangs out with everybody and eats and drinks everything. And the crowds are mad at both of them. And Jesus is like, you guys, there's no pleasing you. And this leads us to a meal by a Pharisee inviting Jesus in to his home we don't know why, actually. I mean, people assume they're trying to set a trap, but we don't know. This Pharisee truly could have been like, I really need to know what's going on. So don't assume the worst about the Pharisees every time you encounter them, okay? In Luke chapter 7, we're just going to read this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And this is where I can see like the Pharisee fist bumping all his crew. <laughs> Jesus, that's a Bush League question, man. I can, oh, man, I got you. I can answer all your questions. <laughs> mm, yeah. Then he returned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home and you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much Love, But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man who goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Father, I'm, I'm asking right now for you to do what only your spirit can do. The power of your word. Jesus tells a two-sentence parable, and it is life and heart-altering. It can bring dead hearts to life. It can bring dead people to alive people. It can bring um, focused on the wrong thing people to focused on the right thing people. And I, I'm just asking that by your spirit you do that this morning. You'd help us see the debt was canceled. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I really do love these pictures in the scripture because I consider them the perfect storm. And what I mean by that is you've got the religious, self-righteous guy, you've got the sinful person in the, char- the, the character in the story, and then you have Jesus. Awkward. You know it's coming. You know Jesus is going to deal in a way, now that we have the scriptures, that is going to probably cause an awkward moment. And that's good, because I think we need those things. But let's just read this two-sentence parable again. Verse 41. Then Jesus told him, the Pharisee, this story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver, 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Now, I think some of us in this room probably would like to think we relate better to the sinner in this picture. Like, I think some of us were like, oh man, I totally get the sinner. I totally, oh man, the worship of God and the worship. But let's hold on just a second. I think that if we're honest with ourselves in this room, we can relate to the Pharisee pretty darn well. There's some of you in this room who would be like, well, I planned the perfect meal, and this woman comes in here and messes it up. Perfect evening. Bought everything at Ikea, and looking nice in here, trying to impress Jesus, and this lady, sinner, I think some of us can relate to that. I think some of us can relate to the, man, this is really awkward for her. I wouldn't do that. I mean, does she know what she's doing? How awkward this is? This is just weird. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, some of you would have been the exact same way the Pharisee in questioning if Jesus knew who this woman was. Yeah. Yeah, that woman's a sinner. Yeah. She's gross. Yeah. Why is Jesus letting letting her touch his feet? Yeah. I think some of us might be too quick to think we are so, so good-hearted that we would relate to the sinful woman when in fact I think we might all relate to the Pharisee just a little bit more than we'd like to admit. And Jesus begins to unpack for this hard-hearted, lack-of-affection Pharisee something that will ultimately mark this Pharisee, we, I would think, for the rest of his life. Now, the greatest danger for you and I in this, and maybe, maybe you can relate to this, is the Pharisee actually felt like he had a foot to stand on in the presence of Jesus because of his ability to compare himself to other people. See, when you and I look around and go, well, that person does this, I don't do that, we've got, our, we've got ourselves a leg to stand on before Jesus. I'm better off because I don't X, Y, and Z. So that makes me a little more lovable in the eyes of God. You know what makes us think that way? 
taking our eyes off of Jesus. You know what makes me think I'm more or less acceptable to Jesus? Taking my eyes off of Jesus. Maybe there's some of you in this room who are like, I am not worthy of coming close to Christ. That's because you're looking at other people. There's some of you over here who are like, I am so cleaned up, man. God's got to be impressed with me. It's because you're looking at other people. You see, for both the sinner and the Pharisee, the cure is the same. It's put yourself in a place to see Jesus and understand who he is, and then everything else gets settled. Now, here's the thing. Pharisees loved, loved, loved the comparison game. So, Jesus speaks their language, and he tells them to take note. You know he tells them to take notes on? This sinful woman. See, the Pharisee probably had in his brain, man, if anybody needs to be looking up to, to anybody in this room, it's this woman needs to look up to me and how I live my life. And Jesus is like, um, let's flip that. And I'd like you to take some notes on this woman. See, the thing about this, this whole you know, washing the feet, the kissing the feet, the pouring perfume on the feet. See, the Pharisee had an opportunity here to show affection to Jesus, and he missed it. So this, this whole, like, dirty feet thing, we get. In Asheville, if you hike in Keens, what do your feet come home looking like? Ladies, your feet stink just as bad as mine do when I get home from hiking with Keens on, all right? They're dirty. It's gross. That's how it works. When you walk in dirt, your feet get dirty. You see, it was a customary practice for hosts of parties to invite people in to either A, they themselves offer them the water and the towel, or a servant comes and does it, and it's just a common courtesy. Because like when you're sitting and you're reclining on the floor, your feet are close to you while you're eating, and sometimes people don't like that when there's dirt, stink. This was a common, hospitable practice. The Pharisee missed it. Now, this whole greeting with a kiss thing, I mean, I know there's some of you in this society who are like, I wish we'd bring that back. Um, you don't have to. But it was one of those things for, the, the, for when you had a guest in your home or it was just a show of respect that, man, hey, welcome in. You know, that's, that's how you do things. And this man, this Pharisee, did not show that to Jesus either. And he had an opportunity to anoint his head with oil. Now, typically, when you're in the sun and sun-baked, and this oil had soothing properties, sometimes it was a smelling oil, because, you know, when baths and showers aren't all common practice, you do things to cover some of those smells up. And so it's just a hospitable thing. It's a sign of respect. It was all this. And this Pharisee blew it here, too. None of them had to be done. But they were just signs of affection for someone you are inviting into your home. And then he points out this woman. Not only did this woman wash Jesus' feet, she didn't have water to do it. And so Augustine calls this, these tears the deepest waters. And so she had nothing to wash his feet with, but her tears were all, this water from her face. Because something happened in her heart was pouring out and enough to start washing Jesus' feet with. This water cost her. We don't like to cry in public. We don't like to ugly cry in public. And if this woman has enough water coming out of her face to Jesus' feet, this is the ugly cry. This isn't the... <laughs> this cost her. 
And not only, she did not have a towel to wipe up her tears on his feet, so she did something that was not for women to do in that day. She let her hair down, which was punishable by divorce. You could throw a woman out of society for letting her hair down in public. And typically, a hair was called the crown and glory of women. And, if, and it was typically pointed to as this prideful or vainful thing and this, to, you, this upkeep. But, but it was actually used in the most humble way possible. This foot washing cost her. Not only was she washing his feet... But she did not feel worthy to kiss, to greet Jesus with this holy traditional kiss of mutual respect. She was kissing his feet. And if you know anything about that, it is a sign of submission and surrender. You are Lord. And see, this is it, guys. When Jesus says he's Lord, he's just Lord. Like he is. He's just, he's Lord. We can't, we can't really, I mean, you can try and argue with it, but at the end of the day, he's just going to keep showing you he is Lord. And so this woman is kissing Jesus' feet. And this is where we might be like, this is just weird, embarrassing. Why is she doing this? Why doesn't she just stand up? Why didn't Jesus stop her? But he didn't. And not only that, guys, because it could have just been that. But we see that she showed up at this guy's house with an expensive bottle of perfume. You know what that communicates? She was intentionally bringing it. She didn't just go, hey, can I borrow that bottle of expensive perfume that's yours? Let me borrow borrow that. I'm going to break it open. I'm going to dump it all over Jesus' feet. She came knowing the cost. And we know because of other stories in the gospel that a bottle of perfume in this position would have cost nearly a year's wages. It's not like just running to the CVS and getting some off-brand perfume. Cost me three dollars. No, they didn't have off-brand. It cost her everything. But we can see that she really doesn't care, which is amazing. Something has gone on in this woman's life that has changed everything. Now, why would she keep doing these things? Why would she be continual in her efforts? And we don't know everything about this woman's story. We don't know if her sins were specifically sexual in nature. We don't know, but we know she had a rep. We know that people knew who she was. We know that people knew that she was up to stuff, and it was probably not something Jesus would want to be around. Could have been that maybe she was raised in a good Jewish family, and she knew the story that God was going to send a rescuer, a Messiah, someone to rescue Jewish people, but not only Jewish people, but be a blessing to all the nations. And she could have been so overwhelmed at the fact that I am in the presence of the one who's going to rescue us, and he's letting me do this. Jesus is different. He's different than anything I've ever seen. I didn't think I had a shot in the kingdom of God, but until I started hearing this crazy preacher talking in synagogues and out on mountainsides and doing this crazy stuff, I thought I had no shot. And I get to come right up to his feet, and he's not stopping me. Like, I'm actually touching his feet, and he's not stopping me. You talk about tears. When you believe there's no shot at all, and something happens otherwise, you can't help but be overwhelmed with emotion. I know many of you could probably tell that story. Where there wasn't a way, God made a way. And for this woman, she was in response to God making a way when there wasn't. 
Luke 7.47, we know why. I tell you, Jesus is speaking here, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. I want to be clear here. This encounter really is not about a pile of sins over here and a pile of sins over here. I think we can run to that because that's what the worldly thought process looks to. All right, so if I don't sin a lot, I'm better. If I sin a lot, I'm not. And so there's this whole thing going on in us. Jesus is not suggesting that there are those who stand in less of a need for forgiveness than others. Several years ago, I was driving down State Street, and I got pulled over for uh, one of those random stops, and uh, it was an expired tag. I had missed all the notices. It was about a month over. I had no clue. And so he was like, what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to go down to the courthouse, go ahead and take care of it, get it fixed, and then you're going to have to stand in line and talk to the judge and make sure they know that everything's been taken care of. Now, if you've never stood in line at a courthouse with people who are also looking to see the judge, you need to do it. It is so much fun. Like, you never know who you're going to meet. And so I got there early, and a bunch of other people got there early, and so we're all standing in this line together, and like a good talker does, you don't let it be awkward. You just start talking with people, and just, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, it's early, and got to go do this thing. And all eventually, what comes up? What are you standing in line for, right? And I'm telling you, you never know what people are in line for, okay? On the, on the right, there was a dad. He was like, man, I tried to sell crack to this undercover cop, man. Stinks. You know, I tried to sell crack, and he was undercover, and I just busted, man. I was like, oh, man, I got busted. And then this lady on the other side of me, she's like, well, um, prostitution kind of. I was like, oh, my goodness, where am I? What show am I on? And so we're going down the line, and it's all like knife fights and, and beating people up and all this stuff. And I'm standing in the midst of this going, Dear God, please don't let them ask me what I'm in line for. I mean, we're hooting and we're hollering and having fun, and they turn and they look, and they're like, So what are you in for, tall guy? I mean, because everyone was really short. I don't know what it was, but I just happened to be like a head taller, and I was like, Man, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. No, and then I was like, man, I feel terrible. I was pulled over for a, a sticker on my car, and it was awful, and they, they yelled at me and told me I had to go stand in line. Yeah, the man's got me down, suckers, you know. And, <laughs> and I kid you not, when I left that experience, I really felt like I understood the gospel in a deeper way. Regardless of our infraction, we were all in the same line. Regardless of what we stood guilty of, we were all in the same line. We were in need of a debt being canceled. We all had a need, and it didn't matter. Oh, well, those of you who have done less sinning, you go stand in that line. Those of you who have done more, you go stand in that line. It was we were all in the same line. Crack dealers tag dodgers, and prostitutes. (laughs) All in the same line. And when I look at this story and I continue to read and unpack in the parable of the debts, we like to look at the debts when it really is about the money lender canceling the debts. See, we're so quick to make it about us. 
Well, I got 50, I got 500, I got 500,000, I got 5 million. Did you hear him say the debts were canceled? That's, that's when you understand, oh, I can give and I can serve. My debt has been canceled. And this is where Jesus points to all of these things for this woman to experience and for this Pharisee to consider. Notice that Jesus really didn't pass judgment on Simon. He did not judge him as you are incapable of experiencing this kind of need and love. That would have been embarrassing to the guests and to the the host of the party, and he didn't do that. But with Jesus' parables, oftentimes, I'm assuming that people would walk away and a month later go, oh, I really get that 50. I don't think those were two random debtors. I think I could have been the guy who thinks he owes little, and then I'm not sure. Am I the guy with 50 or am I the guy with 500? I don't know. This is freaking me out. And maybe, just maybe, we push it to the end where the Pharisee goes, I have not seen my need for forgiveness. I get why lovelessness is a response in my life. It's because I haven't seen a need to be forgiven. And we all stand in that place, regardless of the infractions, the invitation of salvation for you and I is here. There will come a day when Jesus and when the Father wraps up all time will stand as judge. But we know by Jesus' own words that he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And do you know that that announcement was as true then as it is now? We don't stand before him judged yet. There will be the time. But right now, mercy, grace, and salvation stand as an invitation. And the person who stands outside of the forgiveness of God is the one who doesn't see they have a need. If you see that you have that need, welcome in, man. There's a bunch of us who know we have that need. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 77, we see the point of life. John the Baptist was actually to announce this. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. You know, we have so many people working so hard to save themselves by good deeds. We have so many people working so hard to save themselves by getting enough money, getting the right job, getting the right family situation, getting, 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 when we're seeing here that salvation comes when forgiveness of sin comes. I mean, we can make it real complicated if you want it to be, but it's not. Have you felt the need that you stand in the presence of Christ, the one who took on our debt because we could never pay it? And now for Jesus, he leaves Simon with a very real explanation for little love. If you are one who does not love, chances are you have not seen your need for forgiveness. See, this is why I I get really scared about the church and her obligation to give and to serve. I mean, if I was to approach that that mindset with my wife, if I was to take my wife on date night and and we go out and eat and we go watch a movie and we spend all this quality time together and I'm like, dumb obligation, girl. I'm so sorry. 
Yeah, rightfully so. You're like, that guy is the biggest jerk I've ever met. And some of you have the opinion that that's enough. I did my obligation. And we treat the Lord, we treat Christ, we treat each other like we're an obligation rather than out of a place of I have been forgiven much, so I just want to love much. This is why we would talk about this scripture in particular when it comes to giving and serving because I can't force you, your jail group can't force you, no one can force you in these things and in these areas of life. But man, it's to taste and see that the Lord is good and that my sins have been canceled out. My record of wrong has been canceled out, has been cast away as if God can no longer go looking for it to dig it up on us because he now sees Christ over us. Good grief, man. Can you see why she was weeping, why she would use her hair, why she would break a bottle, why she'd kiss his feet and not give a rip about anybody in the room? (laughs) Right? The second thing I want to make clear is the how of her forgiveness. Because the reason for something and the proof of something are very important to pay attention to. Some of you in this room might think, well, because she kissed Jesus' feet, she wiped Jesus' feet, she poured out perfume on his feet, she showed Jesus how much she loved him, and so Jesus was like, I forgive you, girl. That's the way the world speaks. I want you to know that. When you move and operate that there is something that you can do that will earn Jesus' forgiveness, you operate under the ways of the world. The good news is Jesus forgives, now she responds. Game changer. Changes everything. Please don't mistake the fact that this woman, whether it was at a teaching at a synagogue or, or maybe Jesus placed a hand on her and touched her in, and, and was like, I, I, I'm, I'm, you're forgiven. Go. Go whole. Be peace. I mean, everything. All that the gospel has to offer, go and take that. And so her response was, I know where he's going to meet. I know where he's going to be eating. I'm going to get that perfume. I'm going to go show him how thankful I am for what he's done. Verse 50 shows us, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Have you ever met somebody who gets to be themselves all the time? See, when the Bible talks about peace, it's not just talking about absence from conflict. Because we do have a conflict going on. And I don't know if you recognize this, but our default position is enemy of God. And trying to explain that to my kid, they're like, enemy? How does that work? I said, well, do you want to do what you do? Yeah. Do you want to do what God wants you to do? No. Enemy of God. (laughs) That's our default position. So there is a conflict. And the, the introduction to peace from that conflict is faith in Christ. It's belief that Jesus lived a perfect life, totally obedient to the Father, never sinned, died a sinner's death, rose from the dead. I trust that. Boom. Conflict over. But it's not just about the absence of conflict. Peace in a biblical mindset is whole. No longer fragmented. I don't have to be Jason that knows church people, Jason that knows work people, Jason knows that, that knows school people, Jason that knows lost people. I don't have to be different. I can be whole. Why? Because I'm hidden in Christ. 
Have you ever known people who get to be one person all the time? It's awesome. Like they don't have to try hard to be something they're not. They're just whole. Peace. And this is what this woman, this woman was getting to go in. I don't have to be ashamed of my past. I don't have to be fearful of my future because I know I've been forgiven and made whole. Everything Jesus claimed of himself, she believed. Everything Jesus spoke of, she believed. Everything Jesus spoke of her, she believed. That's important. Because when Jesus says you're forgiven, if you're like, nah, that's not a... It's not a pride or a humble issue. That's an unbelief issue. So may we be people who believe Jesus' words. Now, as the band comes, we conclude our time. Why do we want to speak of giving and serving as a result of this story? Simply because, and Ms. Sue said it, we can give and we can serve, but we can do those things without love. But you cannot love without giving and serving. You can use words and talk a good game, and you can say all the right things. But as I told you before, when people look at a life, they are so much more willing to evaluate how you live rather than what you speak. Because there's so many words today, right? So many words flying around, so many things, so many ideas. Just give me something real. And the real comes from being made whole in Christ. This sinful woman, I would, I would correct people from now on if I meet them in eternity. If I was this woman, I would say, no, excuse me, the forgiven woman. So you're the sinful woman. Uh, forgiven woman. It's not just for her. But the Pharisee needed to consider these words too. The Pharisee needed to see his need before a Savior, which he did not, which caused him to stand on the outside of God's forgiveness. This woman, whose society would say, no way, she was now on the inside. I told you, you let Jesus around you long enough, he will tick you off about the way things work. And so this morning, I don't know where you guys stand I don't know if you've been serving or giving out of obligation or guilt or you've just kind of gotten stirred into an emotional frenzy, but, but we see Jesus invite us to respond to his love for us, his forgiveness found in him. That is the answer to lovelessness in our lives. Forgiven much, love much. Forgiven little, love little. We're going to be celebrating with the family as they baptize this afternoon. And uh, it's a joy to see people respond to the love of Christ by walking through these waters. But there may be some of you in this room who have never put your trust in the forgiveness of sin. You've seen, you've tried salvation in all these other areas, but you've never seen the forgiveness of sin as the means of salvation. If that's you this morning, we've got elders and gel leaders that are going to be standing over here. If you're just like, hey, I got questions about this whole salvation, forgiveness of sin thing, they'd love to have conversation with you, pray for you, encourage you. And you may not even know what you have to say or do, and you just want somebody to pray for you, they would be available for that. But man, to know that the debt has been canceled, whether it's 50 or 500, the debt has been canceled through what Christ has done. May we be a people who respond 
likewise. Not just imitating the Savior, but in response to the Savior. Father, we love you, and I just ask that in these moments, your people would be your people, and we would worship, and we would rejoice at the debt that has been paid by you. Lord, and I pray for those who would see no need for Jesus, that, Father, they would remember this two-sentence parable as they walk out of here, the debt being canceled. Do I know I have a debt? Do I even see a debt? Do I see a need for a debt to be cleared? By your spirit, would your word plant deep in the hearts of, our, of your people? It's in your name we pray.